What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show, I sat down with a mom of two kids who's been in the real estate investing field for over a decade in California. She wholesales, does rehabs, flips. She's done it all when it comes to real estate. She now teaches other people how to do it. Welcome to the show, Lauren Hardy. Welcome to the show today, Lauren. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'm excited to have a, a wholesaler on. You know, we, we uh, get a mix of agents, multifamily, real estate investors. But uh, I think wholesaling is is super uh, interesting because you know lead generation is the most important thing I think in, in almost any business, and that's what wholesalers pretty much do exclusively on both sides of the deal too. But uh, why don't you give people a little bit about your background and how you got into wholesaling? Yeah. So, well, my name is Lauren Hardy. I live in Orange County, California, and I'm a real estate investor. Um, I have kind of done it all. I, I wholesale, I flip, I've built houses, um, held rentals, kind of did a little bit of everything. Um, I got started 10 years ago. Um, I was 25 years old and I had just had my first kid and I learned real quick that corporate life and being a mom is, is pretty tough to juggle. So I knew I needed to do something, um, you know, uh, on the side or, or, or something like that I could do at home. Uh, so I kind of fell into real estate investing. I started out as a house flipper in my local market, and um, I started right out of the gate with direct-to-seller marketing. So you brought up that wholesalers are, are pretty good at marketing. Um, I have to agree with you. I don't know why, but real estate investors just right out of the gate kind of learn marketing. And I don't know if they teach it is, is, or they drill it into the agent side as much as they drill it you know, on our end. Um, but we are good marketers, and I learned direct-to-seller marketing right out of the gate. Um, the thing about direct-to-seller marketing, though, is sometimes you don't target, you can't target exactly, you know, what you want, and you get deals that don't work for you. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to work for someone else. And that's where, you know, you could either throw the deal away, you know, or you can find a way to monetize it. And that's where wholesaling came in for me. There were deals that I didn't want to fix up in rehab, you know, and flip myself. Um, but there were other buyers that were willing to take that deal on. And so I found a way to monetize that deal by wholesaling it. Why? Just give us an example. Like, why would a deal not be good for you, but it's good enough for someone else to not only buy, but, but pay a fee to you as well? Yeah. I love that question, actually. Um, so there are different types of buyers that do different kinds of things with real estate. You know, you have some buyers that all they want to do is they want to fix and flip and they want to do it in the high end areas. And then you have buyers that, you know, they're kind of scared. Like when I first got started, I didn't like high end. I wanted to like, I wanted the low end, but kind of like, I call it like bread and butter neighborhoods, you know, like the very obvious, like 
it's gonna sell for this there's five comps that show it you know that give you that price and and you know i wanted like the real straightforward flips i had a very narrow you know buy box and but i didn't get deals that were that perfect and that narrow you know there were high some that were really high end and i was too scared to take them on um so there's also landlord buyers so we have um you know i could get a property you know a lead in and it's priced too high to flip it if, if you fully gutted it and you try to fix it up like the values in the area aren't high enough to justify even doing that you know but there is a whole pool of buyers out there that they love that kind of thing and they want they they buy it and they're going to put a tenant in it and keep it as a you know a buy and hold investment right so with wholesaling i'm able to go hey okay do i want this like i can cherry pick and go do i want this deal you know no but does this deal make sense for you know someone else um the other type of buyer is the hedge fund buyer now they're same thing they're going to buy and hold but their underwriting criteria is different you know than other buyers right so like as a wholesaler, you kind of need to know what pond you're playing in and what fish are, are swimming around hmm. you and know like, hey, this might not work for me, but this could work for this type of buyer. So I'm going to go market this deal to this buyer. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people, investors struggle with that concept that you mentioned of like monetizing, not throwing away deals that um, don't work for them. And another way to do it too, is like the, the deal might not be good for any investor, right? It could be like just too nice of a home. Right. So I know you mentioned you got your real estate license. Do you refer like those types of deals out to other agents or list them yourself or. So admittedly, this is something that all wholesalers, man, we struggle with this concept. So like I, I, I admit, admittedly, I've not done this enough. And this year I started finally doing it. And in fact, now I want to have my own house, like in-house realty arm. So, um, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me turn that off. Ah. Could be, could be an incoming, uh, incoming an lead. Incoming Google voice <laughs> um, no. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm taking over, um, this like this new Google line and I totally forgot I have it on. I don't know if I can turn it off. Let me just exit out there. I'll exit out so I won't do that again. Sorry about that. Okay. So um, let me go back to where we were. Okay. Yeah. So in-house realty arm. Yeah. So admittedly, I have totally ignored realtor referrals for a very, very long time. And then I got with one of my friends. He's a very successful agent. He's like, Lauren, you, you are so dumb you're throwing money away your dead leads can be monetized by an agent so hmm. this is the first year i started doing it and when i saw the money i i got more consulting with a with a guy that owns a, a realty you know company and he's like lauren you could keep two listing agents busy with the amount of dead leads you have and they <laughs> would probably get two listings a week each of them i'm like oh my gosh i am so i can't believe it so i am in the process of creating a real um like a team um an agent team in my market and i'm just trying to find an agent you know to to work to work with us we're new like in that world the agent world like 
it, it, you know, it's kind of hard to prove ourselves. Like we don't have the proof of concept yet, but I know we could keep them busy with appointments. How, um, how, how easy or how difficult is it to get started as, as wholesaling? You know, we, we get a lot of people, uh, here and especially on TikTok, a lot of like younger people asking about it. Like how, how, you know, describe how it is getting started in wholesaling. Yeah. Okay. So like any business, you know, wholesaling isn't easy. Like no business is easy. Like if someone was like, how easy is it to be an agent? Yeah, you can be an agent. How easy is it to be a successful one that actually closes deals and can do it full time and pay, you know, make a good income? Like that's, I wouldn't say that's easy. I think, you know, if anything was easy, like everyone would be doing it. Right. Um, so I think a lot of people go in, especially the people that see it on TikTok and social media, they go into real estate investing or wholesaling, specifically wholesaling, thinking that it's going to be easy and anyone can do it. And, you know, no, I don't think it, it I don't think anyone can do it. I think there's, a, you know, there, I've seen plenty of people that hmm. they they don't have what it takes and they don't they don't want to work that hard. You have to be willing to work hard. It's very sales and marketing intensive. It, it, the, the whole business is sales and marketing. So if you don't like sales, you're, you're going to have a very difficult time. Um, but if you do what you're supposed to do and you take action, you absolutely can do it just because it's not easy. doesn't mean, you know, you can't do it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of similarities between wholesalers and, and agents. They're both kind of low barrier to entry. Doesn't take a ton of money, but it's just really that, that again, that, that ability to have persistence and just really dive into sales and marketing. And if, if you can, can do that, you know, you, you can do well. If, if not, you know, you're, you're toast. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, isn't that any business though? Like, I think there's this, you know, what a lot I've seen, you know, entrepreneur like beginning entrepreneurs who like are interested in starting a business of any kind let it be wholesaling or you got your real estate license like an agent for example i've heard so many times like i want to get into real estate and i'm just so excited because i'm i'm gonna get my license like next month i'm gonna get my license and like i'm gonna start and like they they think that getting their license is going to equal getting listings and they forget or they aren't really aware that you have to promote yourself now. And the promotion is sales and marketing. So you need to study sales and marketing and be willing to commit the amount of time and effort it takes to build your pipeline. Um, I think on the agent side, one of the best books that you could read is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy because mm. he started out as an agent and he talks about like, you know, what he had to do, you know, every day. And um, I, I remember talking to another business owner and he said he start he, he has a bookkeeping. It was like an accounting bookkeeping company. And he's like, so this is so crazy. I mean, I, I start, here's my website. I put a website up and like, you know, no one's calling me. Should I just like 
get some Google ads or something? Like, <laughs> how come no, you know, like no one's got, like he thought that like just putting a website up, like that somehow the SEO machine would work and he would, his phone would start ringing and he'd, he'd get his first client in a month. And it's like, no, it's not that easy. Yeah, it's not that easy. You know, business is just not that easy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Most people think it'll happen too quickly or with, without putting in the work. And it's, mm -hmm. I, I think it's definitely one of those things where you may bust your butt for three or four months with not much success, but then all of a sudden you might get four or five deals in a week. And it's, you know, people, yeah. people just quit like too soon, I think in most cases. Yeah, and I think that the problem is that on social media, you have all these influencers that are like, rah, rah, everyone can do it because I just want more followers, you know? And I think it's better and it would really serve people better to be honest about how long it actually took you to make a profit in the business. How long did it take you to get your first contract? You know, how long did it take you to get paid on your first contract? you know, real numbers. Hey, hold that thought. Do you want to get a hundred tips for free from my best selling real estate book, the hyper local, hyper fast real estate agent? If you do go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download a hundred of my best tips today. Again, that's hyperfasttips.com. You can download a hundred tips on how to grow your business, get more clients, deliver more value to more people go to hyperfasttips.com yeah no i i i agree people people need to kind of step back and remember how long it it took and what they had to go through too like you i mean i'm sure i'm sure starting out for you it was you know not smooth sailing at first like is there is there a time you can kind of recall where you're like what am i doing or <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, when I first got started, I had no money. So, but I knew I had to do direct to seller marketing because that's what I was taught to do. So I opened up a credit card and it had a thousand, no, it had an $11,000 limit or something low like that. And I said, okay, here's my marketing budget. And, uh, I better close a deal because I'm going to be in credit card debt. And so I, that's how I got started. Um, and I was making offers to sellers for four straight months being told no, no, and no over and over again. I was doing everything I thought I was supposed to be doing. And I was so confused. I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like all these sellers keep saying I'm offering too low. And I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? You know? And I finally like with consultation, just asking people, mentors, like, Hey, can you look at like these leads I got and maybe it's my offer pricing formula, you know, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe I am offering too low. Cause I started hearing like the sellers would say, you know, cause you have to listen to your customer feedback and the seller would say, Oh, I'm just going to accept another, you know, investors offer one time. One was because he had letterhead and I didn't like, he just appeared more professionally. And so better believe I got some letterhead done. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, another one was like, you know, just offering too low. I was offering too low. So after getting, you know, seeking mentoring, I learned like, okay, yeah, I can kind of come up on my price and still it should be a deal I should take. And um, I got my first contract on a house I flipped after four months of just being rejected 
over and over again by sellers. I think I made easily 50 offers on homes and kept getting rejected. Um, and mm. then I flipped it. So I didn't get actually paid for eight whole months of me starting the business. So I worked my business every day for eight months and didn't actually make a dime yet. So, so that, yeah. was, that was my start. <laughs> I think, um, I think most, most people just aren't going to write 50 offers. They're going to quit after like five. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, switching gears for a second. Let's, let's talk about scaling. So, you know, it was, let's say we, there's people out there listening that have done deals uh, and they want to scale. What, what are the keys to scaling, wholesaling and investing? So one of the biggest mistakes I see people make, and I see this all the time in, in the real estate business, partially because like I coach other investors. So I've seen even like my own students be tempted to do this is they scale too fast. Mm. They want to scale right out the gate. They drank some kind of, you know, seminar Kool-Aid and they heard the word scale and they just want to get out of the actual working in the business to work outside of it. And they want that time freedom, which I, that's what I sought out for. So I totally, totally get that. But often people scale before they should. So number one piece of advice is lead with revenue. Meaning that you, are you making enough net income to afford the person you're about to hire? Have you, do you have a track record of six months where you didn't need that money? You could have put it aside and paid for this person. Um, so it's often too many people scale with the idea of, well, if I hire that person, I'm gonna make more money. And that's a, a great idea, but a lot of people go bankrupt that way. So I don't subscribe to that belief. I have personally made that mistake. I have made that mistake and gone, oh my gosh, and I hired someone and they, I didn't make the money I thought, and now I can't afford to pay myself. So learn from me, and believe me, I know hmm. so many people that have made that mistake. Like, lead with revenue. So if you have enough revenue to support the position you're gonna hire, then absolutely and make sure that revenue trail is like four five six months of like you've been at this consistent revenue level and you don't you can pay them and you can still pay yourself now you've led with revenue and you're ready to hire that position if you do it prematurely with you know the idea that you are going to profit more with this person. Your sales are gonna double, triple, quadruple because now you have this person hmm. in here. I'm gonna warn you, it doesn't always work out that way. Number one, you could hire the wrong person. You could just hire someone that's a, I call them bamboozlers. They're really good at bamboozling you on the interview and then they get in and they pretend to work and they're not working and they just take your business down. You could have something like that. You could have just in general, like you're not that good at training someone and they don't know what they're doing. They're a good person, but you're not a good trainer. Um, so there's a lot of things that could go wrong. So make sure that you're making enough money. So even if they don't work out, like you can fire them and then replace them and you're still good. Um, the other thing I see people do with scaling, big mistake, is they hire a position that they've never worked themselves. And hmm. so they put someone in there and kind of like expect that person to build out the position. And I've made it, I've done, this is 
like I'm admittedly saying I've done this and I'm like, I will never do this again because that person you hired is never gonna care about your business as much as you do and they're not gonna really do it the way you did or would do. And you also don't know if they're lying to you about working. So if you've done acquisition work for a wholesaling company, because like I did, because for a while it was just me and I did everything, I know how like I know how acquisition work goes. I know how many sellers I have to talk to to get a contract. Like I know my KPIs. I know how long it takes. Like I know how long of a, a phone call is too long. Like I can tell my employee, you've been on the phone too long. Get off. You the seller is now wasting your time. Like because I've done it before. But when you've never done it before, you could have, and this is with any role, make sure you've done this role at least, even for a week, just do it for a week. Like at least so you know, like the scope of work that they need to do, how long, what is the expectation? What is their KPI they're accountable for? Um, because you could get someone in that just fakes it. One of the best fakers are cold callers. Cold callers, professional cold callers, are the best at pretending hmm. that they are doing their job. They know how to manipulate that <laughs> dialer system and they know how to fake conversations while they're playing on their Xbox and they're talking to sellers, barely caring, barely paying attention. And then they're like, oh, I kind of have a hot one. And then they start paying attention. And so I've had cold caller after cold caller, like play the game. So trust me on this one. Like you need to know how to tell that they're faking it. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you made a ton of good points there. Like, you know, if, if you if you haven't done the job before and you bring like bringing them on, like they're they're almost more of a partner than an employee at that at that point. I think so. Um, and and I, I do agree. Most people most people mess up the first hire or maybe first couple. I mean, just like think of like the first few deals you did, right. Or offers you made, there were probably tons of things you, uh, screwed up. But then for some reason, and I see this with real estate agents all the time, they, they think they're going to get it right on the first hire when that's typically not how it goes yeah. in, in any business. And the, the, uh, the other thing I see real estate agents doing that usually cost them a ton of money. And maybe you see some version of this in wholesaling or investing is, they go out and they they hire more salespeople before building out like the the admin operation side and you know a lot of times it's because they they're just cheap they want to pay people on commission and uh, instead of a salary but and and that usually creates operational nightmares because now you have like a lot of people in sales uh, more workload but like who's going to be the admin and support group for them so do you do you kind of see a do you see that on in, in your side of the business as well? Absolutely. Um, there is, I don't know where in wholesaler training history or <laughs> investor training history that it, you know, became a thing to hire people um, commission only as acquisition managers. So that's like our equivalent is sales hmm. is like we call them acquisition managers in our industry. And because when you're wholesaling, we're the principal to we're considered a principal to the deal. Right. So um, so and there is this trend of hiring acquisition managers at commission only. And I did it 
because I had a mentor tell me that that's what they do. And I did the same thing. And I've hired so many acquisition managers at commission only that I have to fire because they don't care at all. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't call my leads back. I mean, leads I put marketing dollars, on, you know, towards, you know, they don't hmm. care. So the, the commission only structure in my business doesn't work very well. Um, there's gotta be something to hold them accountable and it's that hourly pay that you're paying. And then I give a, com a bonus type commission structure. Um, but there is something about the commission only that in my industry does not work very well. Um, I know it's totally different on the agent side. There's more of an understanding that you're a commission only on the agent side. Um, but I could absolutely see, cause I, I'm told you I'm trying to build out a team and I don't have the admin component. I have the admin for my wholesaling company, but like I don't have a real estate transaction coordinator, co coordinator in house, you know, cause that's, I don't do that business. Right. Know? So that was a component component I had to think about is the admin support. Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you want to take your real estate business to the next level? If you do, there's no reason to go it alone. Learn from people who've been where you want to go. Carrie and I have sold billions of dollars in real estate. We've netted over seven figures for seven years in a row now. And we want to see if you would be a good fit to work for us. We don't work with a lot of people, but we want to give you a chance to get on a free strategy call to see if we can help you get your business to the next level. Go to hyperfastcoach.com and apply for your discovery session today. Again, that's hyperfastcoach.com. What, um, let's, let's kind of wrap up by talking about where the market is today. Um, your opinion on where it's going, you've been in for 10 years, so you, you've got to see kind of, you know, what it looked like in the aftermath of 07, 08, 09. Uh, some people think that's coming again. Other people think not like what, where do you think the market is going? And as an investor, how should you be positioned for it? Yeah, so um, I, I'm absolutely a doom and gloomer. I, mm. think, I think I've always been a little, you know, conservative as an investor. I never want to lose money. I, I don't want to lose my investors' money. Um, so I don't want to buy anything that I think is, is something I could lose, you know, money on. Um, but I have been through a full cycle. I started this business on the last day of the recession, I say, and, um, and I rode it all the way up. And I've seen, I've seen it, I've seen the sellers, you know, and their attitudes change from when I first got started to now. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, this is, this is my true opinion here. So I'm in Orange County, California, a very expensive area. And um, we have a, a lack of inventory. You know, we have a huge lack of inventory. So I think that is what has kept our real estate market going up, you know, and appreciating the last couple years. Um, but interest rates just, you know, it was like, I think with the interest rate increase, it was, it's like that, uh, what's the game, you know, you turn the music off and there's, you're still dancing. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> is that what like is it? Musical, Mus chairs, musical chairs? Yeah. Kind of like the musical chairs, you know, and one of the chairs got <laughs> there's that one person standing up. Right. So what interest rates did, and let's use the example of my neighbor's home because I swear I'm watching the recession start with my own eyes with my neighbor. <laughs> so my neighbor is selling their house for $1.6 million. And right when they listed their house was like right after I think the first interest rate increase. And 
I noticed, you know, the house next door to them was not remodeled. It was a fixer-upper. It sold for 1.5. So their house going for 1.6 isn't a far off because their house is fully remodeled, right? Right. And it's the same model house, same model everything, right? But that the other, the fixer-upper sold when interest rates were still very, very suppressed. Now interest rates are not. That house costs a different amount now that mortgage just went up significantly you know it just went i think it was maybe it would have been a six thousand seven thousand dollar more now it's a nine thousand dollar mortgage like it's yeah that is a different buyer now but that different buyer in california doesn't want that type of house they're now they're revolting they're like wait what like <laughs> I don't want, I want the $2 million house and I want my, you know, to pay about under 10 a month. Like, you know, so I think interest rates are going to force these highly um, inflated markets to come down. I've talked to many agents that are like high volume agents been doing this forever. And they're like, yup, it's coming. Our listings are sitting now. I have like all my sellers are like, what's going on? And sellers are having a real hard time coming to Jesus with this right now. Hmm. So there is going to be a serious moment where sellers are going to have to face the facts that it, the time has changed and you cannot get th these cheap loans anymore. And so your house is not going, you can't justify a 1.6 purchase price because no one can afford it. And the people that can, they don't want this type of house. So I'm seeing buyers are pulling back in my local market right now. I'm seeing listings sitting all over. I'm seeing price decreases everywhere all of a sudden. Um, my neighbor said nobody's, one person made an offer at 1.5, which is what the fixer-upper sold next door. You know, so I think in the high, like in the markets where affordability is very low, like SoCal, the last I checked, and I checked prior to interest rate increase, was 17%, okay? So in my area, 17% of the average income earner can buy the average home, only 17%. Hmm. I think in these markets, you're gonna see a shift. Now, in the markets where affordability is not as bad, my prediction is that you're not going to see as dramatic of a decrease, maybe not even at all, because you can still use leveraged capital to purchase an investment property, put a tenant in there, and the tenant pay off your mortgage, that is still possible in a lot of these Midwestern Sunbelt markets, the markets I work. Like, so hedge funds are still pretty active gobbling up homes there. So I think it's gonna be in the overpriced areas where you can't really use leveraged capital to buy anything in cash flow. I think it's gonna be those markets that you, you're gonna see it. Interesting, no, I, I, that's, a, that's a great, take i mean it sounds like you you think it'll be different for different markets as opposed to the last time where it was just like the sky kind of fell on almost everyone <laughs> yeah it did but you know actually in like some of the markets like i'm in for example it only went down like 10 percent whereas like right. in california it went like 50. so it could just be like that again it could be california goes down 20 20 percent maybe you know it's not going to be as bad as last time because there's not as much like of the fraudulent lending, you know, the weird shady stuff. Um, but, um, you know, it, and it could be that just those other markets maybe go down 10, five, 10%, like not, not huge, you know, but um, I think it's gonna happen definitely in the overpriced markets. And I think it's happening right now in the overpriced markets. 
All right. Well, I, that's a, that's a great take. I, I, um, appreciate that. How should people prepare for it? It sounds like you would think they should focus more on affordable places that, that cash flow pretty well as, yeah. as opposed to places that you really can't buy and rent, um, for, for, you know, for enough money to cover the mortgage. <laughs> yeah. I think that as an investor, this is what I'm doing. Everything I underwrite, I make sure that if I had to, I could keep it as a rental. Okay. So I'm underwriting it as a rental as well. So that's a plan B. Um, plan A, if I'm going to flip the property, um, I'll make sure there's at least a 12% return. So what that means is that if prices go down, say 10% in my hold time, I'm still in the green on it. So you want to mm. make sure, like, take your calculator out and go, what would a 10% drop do? You know, I don't think 20% in six months will happen. I don't think it ha will happen that fast, but I think a 10% could. So ask yourself, like, what would a 10% decrease in price do to, to my after repair value? And am I losing money? Will it, and then decide, do you still want to do the deal? Could you keep it as a rental if you are losing money? Or is it enough money where it like where it's maybe five grand, it's not a, that big of a deal and you'll just, you know, eat it kind of thing. So that's what I'm personally doing. And I, I would add to that to also project longer time periods, right? Both, both to, mm -hmm. to repair, renovate and sell and, and yeah. higher, um, higher costs to do it because, you know, oh we don't God. know where the cost of labor and materials is going to go. <laughs> We didn't even go into that and I don't even <laughs> want to do that. That I, I mean, I don't want to sound like a doom and gloomer, but it right. is, on the construction side, it, us like builders are getting killed. It, it's the cost of everything's expensive. It's hard to find good labor right now. So even like I, I'm talking, I have talked to hedge funds. I talk to buyers all the time. Hedge funds like have put like buying holds in certain territories because they can't find labor and they have projects just sitting. Um, back ordered, you know, windows, back ordered um, supplies, supply chain issues, like it is a mess. So that's gonna go into whether, you know, these buyers like are gonna want, you know, these homes, like investors are driving up prices. They've been for years. Like there's, I'm hearing from my buyers, like they're adjusting their underwriting criteria. And it's been all since the last like four weeks, I've hmm. been hearing that they're adjusting their underwriting criterias because of everything so yeah all all important things to consider uh this has been amazing before i wrap up i always do a hyper fast round if you're ready for a couple uh, rapid fire questions here i am all right what's your biggest piece of advice to a new investor don't quit what's the biggest <laughs> biggest mistake you see experienced investors making I already said not leading with revenue, um, <laughs> not leading with revenue. All right. If you uh, had to start over and all you could take with you was the knowledge you've learned in doing this for a decade, you couldn't bring your money, your connections, any of that. Uh, what would you do? If I were going to start over, um, oh my gosh, I have to think about that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I would have not, um, I would have 100% uh, 
I would have bought every freaking home that I, that I, that I, you know, made offers on and sellers said I was coming too mm. low. I would have bought way more homes. <laughs> I would have biggest mistake of my life. Thing and kept it as a buy and hold. Absolutely. They found ways to buy and hold them. Man, if I knew what I knew now in that down market when I first got in, I wish I would have bought everything. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel that one too. <laughs> Uh, when, when you're not doing real estate or working in your business, uh, what are you most likely doing? Yeah. Ooh, I'm a mom of two kids, so I'm probably uh, taking them to volleyball practice or their friend's house mm. or having sleepovers at my house. Um, or I just got a new puppy, so a lot, a lot of puppy duty. All right. Last one, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Or five. Ooh, I want to own mm. a hotel. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know, um, I think you mentioned. I'm keeping my answers really short. Yeah. I don't know no, no that's perfect. Uh, there was a little delay in the audio though. So, um, that's why maybe it took me a second to respond, but, uh, I appreciate, you know, your lessons, uh, on investing, marketing, sales. Um, I know you mentioned yeah. earlier that you teach other people now. So, um, what are, what are ways people can connect with you if, if they want to learn about that or, or just, or just follow you? So follow me on Instagram at thismomflips.com or if you want. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Lauren. I appreciate uh, you being on here and to all of our listeners and viewers. Thank you for watching the show or listening to it. And please share it with other people that you think could benefit uh, from Lauren's lessons as well. Videos, we'll see you next time. Like Go to YouTube and just search up Lauren Hardy. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and go to hyperfastagent.com to learn about upcoming in-person and online events. And don't forget to share this show with someone that you think could benefit from hearing it and make sure you subscribe on YouTube or anywhere that you can find podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed that video, and if you want to see more, click right here. And if you want 100 real estate tips from my best-selling book, click right here to download them instantly. And if you're new to this channel, click below to subscribe.